listening to the New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we reach deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. about God's grace, which we're hungry for. And so um, I'm going to pray for him, and then after I'm done praying, we'll welcome him. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that we get to be part of your kingdom. We get to be part of the gospel going out, not just here in South Florida, but around the world. We're now connected with brothers and sisters who are sharing the gospel in India, South Africa, and England, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to share um, and, and be an influence here in this neighborhood. But we also pray as... Grace Life starts in Lauder Hill, that you would use them and open doors for them and help them reach people with the good news of Jesus. Amen. Be with my brother as he brings the word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's welcome Winston. Thank you so much. Pastor John and uh, Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. I just love to hear that. We are so grateful to be here in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. And um, it's just a joy. Uh, when we were in the assessment process, um, I, I remember that my wife and I we were looking at the other couples who were there being assessed, and we, we noticed somebody, a couple that was there from Hollywood, Florida, and we were like, that is right down the street. How come I didn't know about that? <laughs> And um, we were wondering when we were going to have the opportunity to meet them. And we met them in the elevator. As we were, I don't remember if we were coming down, I think we were coming down or going up. And we were like, are you? Yeah, are you? And uh, ever since then, uh, I am so grateful for this couple. I'm so grateful for John and the ministry that he has here. And what God is doing here in New City. Are you grateful for that? Yes. Telling you that uh, Hollywood will never be the same because of what God is doing in and through New City Church. So continue to get ready, continue to prepare yourself for what God is going to do and is already doing. And today um, we want to, uh, as well as John mentioned, uh, the name of our church is going to be Grace Life Church. And we've just recently started meeting with some folks every week to talk about uh, Grace Life Church and what it means to be a, a church that is founded by and motivated by God's grace. So all of our lives are lived because of God's grace. And I really believe that's a good foundation for the church because that's a good foundation for all of us. Amen? And you know, one of the common, most common questions of Christianity I believe it's a question that plagues all of us in this room at some point or the other. It's the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. So what do I mean by that? In other words, God is a big God, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's a big God. He's in control of everything. He, he does what he sees fit in the universe that he's created. And so since I'm here, what does this big God expect from me? And if I were to press you a little bit more, 
Mark, you might ask the question this way. Even though I know that God is sovereign, even though I know that he's in control of everything, does what I do affect what God does for me? Hmm. You might be here today and you're not even sure that you even believe in God. But I can imagine that you at least look out into a world that's bigger than you, into a, a universe that's greater than you, and, and you feel a sense of responsibility toward it. That's why you vote. That's why you go to work. That's why you advocate. That's why you um, recycle. You feel a responsibility to this world. And I think this question about the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility is a, is a good question. Our understanding of the answer to this question really does impact how we approach life. Do we have a life that earns God's favor or the universe's favor based on our efforts? Or, or do we have a God who is personal, who is relational, and, and so we have a life that's motivated by, that's propelled by this personal God's gifts to us? In our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. And, and in our text this morning, the church planter, the pastor, the scholar, the missionary, Paul, the apostle, he's writing to one of his young men that he's training in gospel ministry, whose name is Titus. And he's encouraging Titus to teach the leaders of the church and the church community what it means to live a life that's motivated by God's grace. Amen. What we in the church would call a holy life or an exemplary life. A life that loves God and loves our neighbor. A life of, of good works that proactively seeks the good uh, of the people in our family and in our neighborhood, in our schools. A life motivated by God's grace. And what is God's grace? How does it affect our lives? What, is it, what does it do for me? What does it do to me? What does it do through me? And if it's the motivation for my life, why does it work? And how does it motivate the things that I do? My job, my advocacy in the community, my relationship with my family. This morning I want to talk about why grace works from just two mm -hmm. verses of scripture, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Why it works to save us and why it motivates us to work. And here's how that text reads. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Can we pray one more time? Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we may see, that we may behold wonderful things from your law this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 All right, quite frankly, there's a lot of richness to this text. We certainly can't get to all of it today. But today I just want to show you why grace works through two points. Grace works to save us, and grace works to teach us. Grace works to save us, grace works to teach us. Paul says here in verse 11 of chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So 
how did it, did it appear? Well, the grace of God is not an abstract concept. The grace of God is in reality a person. The grace of God appeared in our Savior, Jesus Christ. The verb that's translated here as appeared is the same word that gives us the word epiphany, right? You heard of the word epiphany. It's, it's a word that uh, uh, describes a feeling that you have when you experience uh, a sudden uh, and striking realization. Like when you make a scientific breakthrough or you discover an important philosophical concept or you experience a deeper understanding. But the word has in its roots, in its Greek, uh, the roots in the Greek language, it describes the sudden appearance of a divine being on the earth, right? They believe that the gods would appear sometimes in their leaders on the earth. And the word isn't seen much outside of Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, but one place in the, in the Gospel of Luke it's seen, and it's regarding the birth of Jesus. Because the appearance of Jesus in the incarnation, when God became man, is the personification of the grace of God. When we see Jesus, we see the grace of God. Yes, yes, yes. In 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, Paul says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, to life through the gospel. And just below our main text here in Titus chapter 2, in Titus 3 verses 4 and 6, Paul says this, but not but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly high, through Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ our, our Savior. Savior. Now did you notice that every time we're talking about the appearing of Jesus, we're talking about being saved by God's grace and not by our works, not by our own efforts. Amen. Seems like we have a theme going here, right? God's grace works to save us. If we're going to be saved from having to pay the penalty for our sins, grace is needed. And the idea of grace, it's one of the distinctive features of Christianity. No other religion, uh, one commentator says this, no other system of religious thought, past or present, contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to the Bible. Because in no other religion do you have a scripture like this, a verse like this, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. What we have is a sovereign, holy God 
lavishing his blessings on his creatures simply because he wants to do it. Giving the greatest gift he could ever receive, that we could ever receive, the gift of his son. And no compensation is demanded from us. Matter of fact, no compensation could be reason reasonably demanded from us, could it? Mm -mm. We weren't only undeserving of the Son of God, we were deserving of eternal judgment in hell because our lives, they're marred by sin and we could never find ourselves in a relationship with the Holy God. And even if we believed we were pursuing God, we, we weren't doing it in the way that would bring glory to God, which would really be the only way. We would be doing it just to save our skins for all eternity. Mm. The English writer Arthur King said this, grace can neither be bought, earned, nor won by us. Because if it could be, it would cease to be grace. Mm. And if we can't earn it, how do we access this grace? Well, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in him won't perish eternally, but will have eternal life. God's grace is a gift that you receive, not a wage that you earn. It's a gift you receive. It's not a loan. It's a gift. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, everybody say dead. Dead. In our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. And he skips down in verse 8. He says again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You receive God's grace by faith. You receive God's grace, God's e e eternal salvation, no less, by simply believing in what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. He lived the perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you. He was raised from the dead in order so, so that you could have a relationship with God, the Father, as his adopted child. Friends, believe that, and you're saved. Imagine you were half a million dollars in debt. Can anybody imagine that? Mm. All right. What you, what you owe right now feels like half a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> somebody comes to you and whips out a check, writes a check for $500,000, and they say, this is all for you to cancel your debt. You don't have to do anything but just re reach out and take it. It's yours. So you take that check and you, you pay off all your debt. You're now debt free and totally in the clear. All those student loans, pay it off. Right? What do you have to boast about? Are you going to say, well, and you're going to brag that you had the power, that you had the skill? That you had the brains to reach out and take that check. Can you talk about what a favor you did to that, that benefactor in order to, to take all of that extra money off of his hands? It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. It doesn't 
make any sense. Of course not. You, you received grace, nothing more, nothing less. You were impoverished, and you received riches from another person. But can I tell you, God's grace is even greater than that? Because God doesn't just hand you the check so you can pay the debt. He pays the debt, and he just asks you to believe that he did. Amen. The fact that you're now debt-free is 100% due to him and 0% due to you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So who then deserves the praise, deserves the glory for your salvation? Clearly it's not you. Clearly it's not me. We've received riches from the resources, the eternal resources, the uh, uh, unending resources of our gracious God. His grace made it all possible. And so we might have to ask ourselves an uncomfortable question this morning. Are we trying to take credit for our eternal salvation? Are we denying God's grace by trying to earn our way into his favor? Are we, are we, are we doing good things and then looking up to God and saying, hey, you saw that? You saw that? You saw what I did? You saw what I did right there? Or even more frustrating for us, are we wondering why God is not, not blessing us with more things or with different things because we think we've done enough to deserve it from him and he owes us? got good news for you today. You don't have to do that. Just believe in Jesus. Uh, just, just believe in him and receive his grace. Amen. Believe in him and receive his grace. When we receive God's gift of his son to us, we receive everything from him. Why? Because we're his children. Amen. And, and we have the privilege of living as children of the God of the universe. His, his inheritance, his entire inheritance is ours. And if we recognize him as our father, and if we go to him, instead of going to all those other things in life that vie for our attention and that vie for our affection, he will provide us with peace and with joy and with love and with hope, the kind of hope that makes us more certain about our future. doesn't make us anxious about our future. It makes us certain about our, our future because we are in a relationship with him. Amen. 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 So would you receive that free gift today? Because I'm telling you, it changes not just your eternal destiny. It changes your life right now. So God's grace works to save us. And God's grace also works to teach us. Amen. To teach us how to work. To teach us how to do good deeds that bring him glory and impacts our world for good based on our relationship with him. Now every time someone receives a gift from someone else, they're, they're receiving in one way grace. And because of that grace, there is a change in the relationship, isn't there? Now, if, if graciousness is met with ingratitude, it insults grace, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody gives you a gift, and you're not grateful. You're like, why'd you give me this? I wanted that. It insults the giver. Yeah. But what?
what should be the result of grace for someone who is receiving it? It should be a life that's transformed so that there is a change in the relationship. You're now receiving something and you're so grateful that your heart begins to change towards the person that gave it to you. <clears throat> Ideally, when you, you got married and you bought that really nice, expensive ring, you didn't give it to your spouse and say, okay, now that comes with an installment plan that you're going to pay me back for during the rest of this marriage. That's the way our mind works sometimes, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Our relationships sometimes are just transactional. But that's not our relationship with God. That's not how His grace works. His grace changes our relationship, and now we live out of that changed status. Like, out of how He changes our status from being an enemy of God to being His adopted child. What a change. John chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 says this. He was in the world talking about Jesus and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as his children, our text in, in Titus 2 verse 12 shows us that God by his grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen, where grace reigns, grace trains. Remember that. Grace works to teach us, to say no to a way of thinking and living that's based on things that God hates. Things like injustice, unloving actions, withholding mercy from people who need it, wanting what others have, and wanting others to not have what they have. That murder that's in our thoughts. That unfaithfulness that's in our hearts. God has graciously given us himself we're now part of his family. Our identity has changed because God is now our Father and his Holy Spirit is with us and in us. We have the privilege to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, self-controlled lives with healthy habits that cause our lives to flourish physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally. Those kind of self-control. Upright lives, lives that are concerned with justice and mercy for our neighbors that causes our community to flourish. A life where your employees or your, your clients are receiving God's grace through you. A life where, where that boss that you're struggling to like will receive God's grace through you. Amen. 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 Yes. Oh, me. <laughs> Self-controlled, upright lives. Godly lives. Lives that are pleasing to God. Not because our activity merits God's approval, but because our activity is now directed by God in every sphere of our lives in order to bring glory to Him. 
so those in every sphere of our lives may hear the gospel proclaimed, and that they'll also see the evidence of that good news impacting and transforming our lives. That's why Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What purpose? To be his children and to show his love, his grace, his mercy, his justice to the world. Timothy Paul Jones, in a, a book he co-authored called Proof, Finding Freedom Through the Intoxicating Joy of Irresistible Grace. What a <laughs> he tells the story of his adopted daughter. And she had been previously adopted by another family, and the adoption didn't go well. The family also had biological children, and, and they never quite integrated her into, into the family. And so they would, they would take the family to Disney World, and they would leave this young girl, the adopted child, they would leave her with another family. And as far as she knew, she was always left behind because she did something wrong. She didn't deserve to go. So eventually the family dissolved the adoption. And she became a part of the Joneses family. So, so the Joneses' new adopted daughter now had, she's seen pictures of Disney World. She's heard about Disney World. She's heard about the rides, the parades, the characters, the food. She longed to experience it. So her, her new daddy now, so we're going to take the family to Disney World. They plans. And the kids, you know, kids normally get really excited about going to Disney World. Some of y'all do too, right? <laughs> they start to go out of their minds pretty early. But this new adopted daughter, in the month leading up to the trip, she just began to unravel. Timothy says it this way. He says, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. So a couple days before they, they headed up to Orlando, uh, he put her on his lap to talk to her about her behavior again. And here's what she said. She said, I, I know what you're doing. You're not going to take the distance on there. And now her downward spiral started to make sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and she had failed that test several times before. So she was now living in a way that placed her as far as possible from what they call the happiest place on earth. And her dad asked her, he said, is this trip something we're doing as a family? Tears filled her eyes and she, she just nodded. Yes. He said, are you a part of this family? And she nodded yes. He said, then you're going with us. You're a part of this family and we're not leaving you. And her behavior 
spiraled out of control all the way until they got to Disney World. All the way until they entered the magical gates of Disney. But they got in and the family had fun and later that day, when they got back to the hotel, Timothy describes the scene and this is what he says. He said, in our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times. But her months-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked her, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffy unicorn. After a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours.
because we have new eyes to see them. See them. They need to receive your grace. Yes, Lord. Thank you that grace works. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.